going? No, man, you got the right classroom. Come on in, take a seat beside me, my friend. Hey, look, here come T.A. Charlie. Let's see what he got to say. Oh, boy. Hugs, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, what, what he said. Yeah. We're having a day. This yes. is going to be a day. We're over the target. You're watching The Road to Concord, I hope, with Professor Joe Bakanovic. Homeroom is on Rumble. You just go to Rumble and you search the channels for The Road to Concord. It's one word. When you find it, you go ahead and you click follow. It might mean you got to set up an account, but it's fast. It's easy. It's free. I did it. You can do it. For those technologically challenged members of the class, you can also catch us on Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube today. Then you can pop. Easy for him to say. Yeah, you can catch the podcast after the show. It's uploaded to Podbean, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Just look for The Road to Concord. You can go to the blog page. That's roadtoconcord.com. That's where you'll find all your show notes, study notes, and handouts for the class if your internet's working. Finally, you can email a professor at joe at the road to concord.com. He's a little slow right now, but he'll eventually get around to emailing you back. Yeah, I owe a couple people emails. If you find our classes helpful, please click the thumbs up, like, subscribe, and share it with those you think could benefit from it. Warn them. Warn them, please. Joe is an acquired taste. You're going to find that out today, along with a few other things. <laughs> hey, we all know T.A. Charlie isn't all there. Now, just stay seated and give it a chance. You soon realize we not might be the smartest, but we each independently form opinions based on reason and logic. We're free thinkers. Let's see what the road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic has on the lesson plan for today. We're not just taking flack today, man. We've got fighters. We're in a dog fight. Yeah, we're in a we dog got fight fighters today. and flack. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's been a day. The internet hasn't been working for Charlie. He's got phone calls from idiots that are bugging him right before the show starts. Gosh. I locked myself out of the house this morning. Didn't have the keys to my truck. Had to call BB, my wife. Had to get her come back. Let me in the house. While I'm waiting for her to come, I had put my books on the front tire of my car because I didn't want to put them on the truck, get it wet with all the dew. I drove off and left my books on the front tire of the car. So I probably have four books that went thump, thump under my wheels sitting in the front yard of my house. It's, it has been nothing but a day today, folks. So we're waiting for something major to go wrong. The internet's going to fall out on us or something's going to happen. I'm not supposed to be doing this show. To, well, we, somebody doesn't want me We to have do. a show for you today. Yeah, we do. And we're going to have to hold get going Hold on to here. your ring pops because you're going to need to hold on to them because otherwise they're going <laughs> to end up in the dirt today. But, yeah, there's forces to be that do not want this show today. So we're, I just hope it's not yeah. Yahweh telling me not to do this. I, I don't think so. <laughs> <clears throat> all right well i'm gonna okay. let you do the show today I'm yeah, go let's get going we're gonna have to talk fast you're gonna have to listen fast yeah, you yeah. do not use 1.5 speed yeah today. you won't be replaying on 1.5 today uh otherwise we won't get through it yeah it's monday again it's monday again it's groundhog monday day all right so we're just gonna get right on into this charlie we got to get moving here today folks um i was asked real quick let me pull this back down i was asked to do a wrap-up show where we try to put everything that we learned about the uh, Ellis Schofield slideshow together, you know, on prophecy, it put it all into one neat little bundle. I'm going to assume, no, 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 no. 
I'm assuming you've watched that series because there's a lot of it. I'm not going to be able to go back over. I'm, I'm not going to go over all the prophetic times and Daniel 70 weeks and all of that stuff. That's already been handled by Schofield. All of that stuff, Daniel 70 weeks in the past. Okay. But before we even get going here real quick, there, there are a series of links. I, I, I can't share them all on the other places, but if you'll go to rumble after the show, the very first comment, there are a series of links to other things that I've done, other other posts that I put up where you can download all the material we've dealt with in the past. You can go research all of this to your heart's content afterwards. But today, we've got to get boogieing, boys and girls. We're going to deal with Yahweh's prophecies. We're going to set some ground rules before we even get going. So first things first, I've told you this before. <clears throat> Here's the prayer. On earth as it is in heaven. Remember, I use an NASB Bible for most of my translations. The Lord's Prayer. We've all heard this before. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. So his will is already done in heaven. Look for, you know, here you go. Look first to the spiritual where it already is. Then look to the material world for its reflections and allow that there may be more than one, meaning there could be more than one reflection of the spiritual world in your material world today. Or, as is the case in most prophecies, there could be an early fulfillment close to the time of the prophet and a latter fulfillment close to the time of the return. Prophecy has a habit of doing this. It repeats. Look for the patterns, folks, as much as possible. Let scripture interpret scripture. This is what we were doing yesterday. We were going over the prophetic language so that we would understand how scripture defines these prophetic symbols. Do not interpret a prophecy in a manner that breaks with sound doctrine or previously established spiritual truth. Prophecy, Yahweh's not going to do that. He's not an Elohim. He's not a God of confusion. He's not going, his prophets will not do that. They'll make sense. You've just got to learn their language. When you think you've found contradictions, you have found something you misunderstand. It's not going to contradict. Now, before we get going, Book of Revelation is what everybody wants to study. If you want to understand the Book of Revelation, you have to start in this book first. Now, real quick, remember when we were going over Schofield's slides, he talked about bifids. That's a book that's split in the middle. And it tells the story over again. Isaiah is a bifid. So is Daniel. So is the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation tells you it's a bifid. You know, Jesus hands the scroll to John and says, here, prophesy again. Scrolls written on two sides, which is very unusual usual for that time. It's a single scroll, too. It's not a double. It's a single-sided, you know, single-roll scroll. What they call, I think they called a Megiddo or something like that. Um, all the indications are that book of Revelation is a bifid. We know that Daniel's a bifid because it, it talks in the first half. Nebuchadnezzar's dream is to the um, to the, uh, the the Gentile world, the non-believing world. That's in Chaldean. The the book Daniel's visions are in Hebrew to his people, to the to the house of Judah. The book of Revelation's reversed. The first part of it is to the believing Christian world. The second half is to the non-believing world. But pay attention to bifids. Because it's part of that's what's going on here in Daniel. The key to understanding the book of Revelation starts with the book of Daniel. 
Here's where we're going to get going, folks. Lots of scripture today. Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 26. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Belteshazzar are you able to know to me or, or make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered before the king and said, as for the secret about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, sorcerers, soothsayers, priests, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. No man knows. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the vision in your mind while you were in bed. As for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will take place. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than in any other living person, but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. So what Daniel's telling us is only the creator of the universe knows the future and that the only reason that this vision was given to Nebuchadnezzar was so that he could see the future. And the only reason Daniel was allowed to understand it is because so he could glorify God. So here we're going to continue. You, O king, were watching, and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue, which was large and extraordinary radiance, was standing in front of you, and in its appearance was awesome. Now, in the yellow, I'm giving you a rough interpretation, my understanding of the prophetic language, and I'm going to be interpreting as we go. So it just I'm going to read this as I've put the, the uh, parentheses, the um, in inserts here. So... This statue represents the kingdoms over the Holy Land from Nebuchadnezzar forward. This parallels the seven-headed beast in Revelation, and it does. The head of that statue was made of fine gold, which is Babylon. Its chest and its arms of silver, two arms, one chest, two nations, one kingdom, Medo-Persia or Medo-Persia. Its belly and its thighs of bronze, one belly into two legs or two kingdoms, the Greco-Roman Empire. Greece is the belly, and then you have the East and West empires of Rome, the, the Byzantine and the Roman Empire uh, sections of Rome. So that fits there. I know, I know, everybody thinks iron is Rome. You stick with me today. Your Bible tells you that that is the wrong interpretation. Your Jesus, Yeshua tells you it is not Rome. We'll get to that before the day is over. It is in your Bible. It is. So it's legs of iron, two legs, hence two nations of steel or a divided nation. And it's feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Now a divided kingdom, partly strong and partly weak, tracing their power through the seeds of the bloodlines of men or tracing their authority. You continued watching until a stone was broken off without hands. This is Yeshua. And it struck the statue at its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed into pieces all at the same time, and they were like chaff from the summer threshing floor, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the entire earth. This is the kingdom of Yahweh. It destroys all the worldly kingdoms and spreads over the entire world. That's reversing Hermon, if you've read that book from Dr. Heiser. That is the, that is the true gospel of Yeshua, the Messiah. It is reversing all of the falls and all of the the, the degra degradation of Eden. It's making all things new again. It's that process. That's what the true gospel is. Yeshua says so. 
He says, my gospel is the kingdom of Yahweh. Daniel 2, 26 through 49 continue. The interpretation, Babylon, the first kingdom. It says, this was the dream, and now we will tell its interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom and the power and the strength and the honor. Notice how that mirrors language talking about Yeshua. And wherever the sons of mankind live, or the animal of the field and the birds of the sky, he has handed them over to you and has made you ruler over them. You are the head of gold. As its ruler, the king is representative of the kingdom, but he is not the kingdom itself. Talking to Nebuchadnezzar. Medo-Persia and Greece. And after you, another kingdom will arise, inferior to you, Medo-Persia. Then another kingdom of bronze, Greco-Roman, and it will rule over the whole earth. Then there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron. Just as iron smashes and crushes everything, so like iron that crushes, it will smash and crush all these things. And in that, you saw that the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it will be a divided kingdom. But it will have within it some of the toughness of iron, since you saw the iron mixed with common clay. And just as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be fragile. In that, you saw that the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in their descendants, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not combine with pottery. In the original Chaldean, which is Aramaic for all practical purposes, but they are different languages, the word here, combine or adhere, is Arab. And it, Arab literally means does not mix, which is going to connect very well prophetically to Ishmael. So continued, the divine kingdom. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it itself will endure forever. Just as you saw that a stone was broken off from the mountain without hands, and it was crushed, it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king that will take place in the future, so that the dream is certain and its interpretation is trustworthy. This is a drawing that represents, if you can't see the chalkboard, I'm sorry, but this is you know a representative of Dan of Nebuchadnezzar's statue, head of gold, you know, chest and arms, kingdoms of Medes, Medes Persia or Medo Persia, the belly and thighs of bronze. Most people will say that's Greece, the legs of iron. Most people think that's Rome. That is not what Scripture tells you. I will prove to you, using the words of Jesus, that it is not Rome. Feet of clay. You know, feet of iron and clay, kingdom of a restored Rome. It is not a restored Rome. Crushing the rock, that's the kingdom of God, kingdom of Yahweh. That's a picture of the rock crushing the, you know, the statue. This is another one where people, this is just another picture that people have drawn over time to try and show how this works. Like some people keep wanting the, the 10 kingdoms of, of Rome and everything. This is not the proper understanding. It isn't. I know, I know this is what we've been taught. Here's one of the places where I'm going to ask you to um, hold on to your sucker. You have got to get the traditions of men out of your head. Your Bible never once tells you that one of the beasts of Daniel or Revelation is Rome. Never. Not one time does it identify it as Rome. Not one place anywhere in your Bible. It has been inferred 
even by the apostles, it was inferred or apparently so. And by the church uh, fathers, the apostolic fathers. But your Bible never says that. Just like your Bible never teaches you about a indwelt, you know, Satan incarnate known as the Antichrist. That is not in your Bible. We have got to purge the traditions and teachings of men out of our understanding. It's got to be purged. You've got to stick to the rule book, the scriptures, the prophets themselves must. And you have to be willing to let this stuff go. What I call the Tim LaHaye left behind version of scripture, of prophecy, eschatology. It's got to go. We know that that's the teaching of men. And it has caused untold problems within the body. Get rid of it. It is not in your Bible. I will say that with 100% certainty. It's not in your Bible. I've tested this 19 bazillion ways to Sunday. It's not there. All right, we're going to continue. Vision of the four beasts. This is Daniel. We're now in chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, meaning Daniel, king of Babylon. Um, well, wait a minute. This is uh, Belshazzar. Is that Daniel's name there, uh, Charlie, or is no, that? No, no that's is, the next king. That's the king's son. King. All right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Their, their names are very similar here. All right. King of Babylon. This is after Nebuchadnezzar has been moved on. Daniel saw a dream and vision in his mind as he lay on his bed. And then he wrote the dream down and told the following summary of it. Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. This is likely the four horsemen stirring up the masses of mankind. Remember, we went over this prophetic language of the winds yesterday. That means strife, troubles, um, tribulations. And the great sea, that is the masses of the lawless people. That's all of humanity. And four great beasts were coming up from the sea. Beasts are kingdoms, kingdoms that come from man, different from one another. The first was like a lion, but had the wings of an eagle. That's Babylon. Literally, that is the, the symbol of Babylon, a griffin, a winged lion. I kept looking until its wings were plucked and it was lifted up from the ground and set up on two feet like a man. A human mind was also given to it, Nebuchadnezzar. And behold, another beast, a second one resembling a bear. This is Medo-Persia or Medi-Persia. And it was raised up on one side. That's because Persia was stronger than Medi or Medes, Media. So that this is a lopsided kingdom. And three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth. They said to it, arise and devour much meat. Medo-Persia is going to conquer many peoples. After this, I kept looking and behold, another one like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. And the beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it. This is Greece, which will eventually be broken into four smaller kingdoms. And Greece grew quickly. So wings like a bird, right? After this, I kept looking in the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth. Iron teeth is going to connect this imagery to the beast, to that of the legs and feet in Nebuchadnezzar's statue. It's going to connect it to the uh, bronze beast later in scripture. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. It will be a very destructive kingdom. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it. Different in kind, but how? Everybody says, well, Rome was different. and No, Rome was no different than any of the beasts that came before it. It wasn't. And we'll get to that. And this beast had 10 horns, seats of power or rulers. 
while I was, you know, authorities, while I was thinking about the horns, behold, another horn, a little one came up among them and three of the previous horns were plucked out before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like human eyes and a mouth uttering great boasts. This is a human figure, much like, remember the lion just a little while ago, uh, the Babylon was set up, same talking about how Nebuchadnezzar becomes like a man. It's a great human figure out of that kingdom. Well, we're looking for a great human figure that's going to come out of this kingdom, small in stature, and it will uproot three of the larger horns or rulers and kings. We'll hold on to that. We'll come back to it. I know lots of people have looked for ways to, to figure that out. I'm looking at the general idea right now. I'm not necessarily going to tell you who specifically it is because I don't necessarily know. Daniel 7 continues, the Ancient of Days reigns. I kept looking, and until the thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat, and his garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames, and its wheels are burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were serving him, and myriad upon myriad were standing before him. The court convened, and the books were opened. That does not mean we're in judgment yet. Assuming that Daniel's in a linear progressive, this is very likely figurative of the millennial reign. The following passage is the key to understanding that. And like I said, assuming that linear's, uh, Daniel's vision is in a linear progression of time. If it is, first we have the Ancient of Days setting up. That could very well be the reign of King of Yahweh, you know, Kingdom of Yahweh on earth. The next thing that comes after that, then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. And I kept looking until the beast was killed and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. So in other words, the Ancient of Days sets up and the books are opened, but the beast is still reigning at that time on earth. So look forward to the same scene. This what Daniel's looking at. This is looking forward to the same scene in the book of Revelations, which likely connects it to the little horn, to the false prophet, or possibly Satan himself, and also to when the beast is judged and thrown into the lake of fire. So in verse 12, Daniel 7, verse 12, as for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. They continue to exist, though they no longer rule over the Holy Land. Conceptually, as well as descriptively, this passage fits the imagery of Judgment Day or somewhere in that period of time, possibly Armageddon. Then in chapter 7 comes this. After that, the Son of Man is present, presented. And I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, honor, and kingdom, so that all the peoples, nations, and populations and languages might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So I don't know for sure. I just know that this is very likely figurative of eternity. But there are passages in Scripture where it says that when the, when the Son, when all is over with, the Son hands everything back to the Father. So it could be that this, remember, Daniel's prophecy is to the house of Judah. Well. This is going to be about when they recognize the Messiah, the house of Judah, Jews. They're not going to recognize the Messiah, Messiah probably until right about the time of the second coming. So it, this is where I tell you it is okay to have fuzzy understandings. 
Look for those little pieces of the prophecy that you can latch onto and hold onto and know you've got it right. We know what the prophetic language tells us. The timeline order here is probably out of mix. But if it's linear, then the beast is destroyed before the Messiah comes back. That could actually also be figurative imagery of the cross and the crucifixion. And all of that could be happening at one time. And what this could be is the, the first time the beast is cast into the pit. We'll see this later in prophecy today. We're going to get there. But you have to start in Daniel. and You have to start letting Daniel define these things for you as he was told how to read them. And that's where we're going to go next. Daniel 7, the vision is interpreted, picking up in verse 15. He says, as for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me. And the vision in my mind kept alarming me. I approached one of those who was standing by and began requesting of him the exact meaning of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretations of these things. Notice the prophet will interpret for you. These great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings, will arise from the earth. But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and take possession of the kingdom forever for all ages to come. Four kings, but they are kingdoms. He'll be told that later. These are kingdoms, four kings. The king represents the kingdom. Don't be thinking men when you look at beast. That's not right. It says, then I desire to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and its claws of bronze. That connects the iron legs to the bronze thighs and in, in, in a belly, it, conceptually in which devoured, crushed, and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and the meaning of the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up, and before which three of the horns fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth, uttering great boasts, and which was larger in appearance than its associates. So we've got a human being figure here. I kept looking, and that horn was waging war with the saints and prevailing against them. Probably a human being could also have a spirit behind that human being as well. So be careful. Waged war against them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And then time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Daniel 7 continues in verse 23. This is what he said. This is the angel explaining this. The fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom. Now, stop. Remember, this angel has already told him this is four kings that will arise. Now he's telling you it's a kingdom. You have to understand in the ancient language, Nebuchadnezzar is Babylon. Babylon is Nebuchadnezzar. The king is the kingdom. But the kingdom existed before and after Nebuchadnezzar. So what the angel is telling you is these are actually kingdoms. The way we think today, these are kingdoms. So the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on earth, which will be different from all other kingdoms. All other kingdoms, not just the ones that came before and will devour the whole earth and trample it down and crush it. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise, and another will arise after them, and he will be different from the previous ones and will humble three kings. This is all imagery of the beast in the book of Revelation with ten horns. And he will speak against the Most High and wear down the saints of the highest one. And he will intend to make alteration in times and in law, and they will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will convene for judgment. His dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatest of, uh, greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one, 
His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all the empires will serve and obey him. At this point, the revelation ended. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarming me and my face became pale, but I kept the matter to myself. All right, four beasts of Daniel. We got the first beast, like a lion with eagle's wings, wings plucked later, lifted up from the earth, man's, uh, given a man's heart, you know, was given to him. Most likely Nebuchadnezzar. This is Babylon. We know this. It'll be defined in a little bit. The bear, it's like a bear, the second beast, like a bear, raised up on its side, has three ribs in its mouth, was told to arise and devour much flesh. Fourth beast, like a leopard, with four fowl's wings and has four heads in its given dominion. The fourth beast, exceedingly dreadful, terrible beast, iron teeth, brass nails, has ten horns, a little horn which plucks up three horns. This is what we know. Now let's keep going. Let's look at the fourth beast a little more closely. It says, then I desired to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, which devour, crushed, and trampled down the remainder with it. Imagery links the legs to the thighs, to, to the thighs and belly. So it is possible that this is Rome. Possible. But then how was Rome actually different from any of the previous beasts? Something is missing. It's not Rome. Let me look at something for you real quick. This is your first beast in the upper left-hand corner. You need to be able to see the chalkboard this time, folks. But this right here, that's Babylonian Empire at its height. The second beast is the right-hand picture. This is the Persian, Medes Persia or Medo Persia or whatever, but mostly Persia. It was mostly Persia, especially to the right side, the east side. That's the Persian Empire at its height. Notice both rule the Holy Lands. The third beast, that's the Greco-Roman Empire at its height. Now, all three of these control the heart of Euphrates in that area today. That's the seat of Satan, according to Scripture. That's the heart of Antioch and that, excuse me, not the city, but the general region. The Bible calls that area the seat of Satan, his throne. Now, look at the fourth picture. If the fourth beast is Rome, Rome went to the West. Rome never occupied much. It occupied parts, but not the majority. It occupied only a small part of the area of these other three. You got the lion, then you got the bear, and then you got the leopard. One, two, and three. Rome never occupied that particular part of the world. This is important because prophecy links these nations to a geographical region, the seat of Antioch, the, the seat of Satan. This is the Roman Empire at its height, 117 AD. They call it common era. I call it AD. It does control parts of Babylon. It does not control Arabia or the Parthian Empire. That's important. Both of those are the seats of Satan. That's the bulk of Satan's people. That is the first caliphate. And not only does it control the whole of the region that belongs to what the Bible calls the seed of Satan, it controls a large part of North Africa and even Spain. This is part of what Ellis Schofield was catching on to. You have two battles here. Up here in Spain, you have the Battle of Tours. And over here where it says Magyars, uh, Magyars up in, in the top 
just to the right of the center of the picture. That's where the um, Caucasians, the Scythians, stopped uh, Islam from entering Europe. They stopped at the Battle of Tours north of Spain, and they stopped at where the Magyars says they are. Those were the Scythians that stopped them. Those two battles, if it had not been for that, the caliphate would have spread right into Europe. Now, this is history. See, Islam is a better fit than Rome for this fourth beast. This is why. First, it is a spiritual kingdom which mirrors the kingdom of Yahweh. It knows no borders. It knows no people groups. That is different from any ever other kingdom that has ever controlled the Holy Land. That is true. It is a divided kingdom. Sunni and Shia. Shia are weak compared to the Sunni. It incorporated the whole regions ruled by the lion, bear, and leopard beast, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. Rome did not. It does not mix well with itself, let alone others. Sunni and Shia do not like each other. Muslims do not like non-Muslims. It, it, even within themselves, Shia against Shia. They don't. Arab. They trace their names to Ishmael. Ishmael's an Arab. He's the father of the Arabs. It means does not mix well does not mix. And remember, Ishmael is everybody descendant of him is going to be a wild ass of a man with his hand raised against his neighbor. That fits the prophetic nature of the people. We're not talking racism. We are talking spiritual prophetic nature of the peoples. Islam is riddled with infighting over who traces their bloodlines to Muhammad. That's a big deal. If you're after leadership within Islam, you need to establish that you can trace your bloodline to Muhammad. It is, it is terrible and destructive both physically as well as spiritually, and it is spread throughout the whole world. Also, the actually the fourth caliph, I got that wrong, I'm sorry. It was the fourth caliph. He's a child. He was 14 or 15 years old. He was actually the first blood relative to Muhammad. I think he's a second cousin. He literally said that the first three caliphs never existed. So he pulls them up by their roots. However, I think this similarity is an earth shadow a material reflection of the spiritual world. I don't think that's the actual interpretation of the prophecy of the little horn pulling up three other horns. Don't think that at all. I'll get to this for you in a little bit. But Islam is a better fit. So this is a picture I drew up. I posted this on the road to Concord. If you want to find the blog post where this comes from, I never finished it. I started explaining the book of Daniel. I let it go. I need to go back and finish it one day. We'll see what Yahweh has me do. But if you want to find this, you go to the road to Concord, go to the first hard comment underneath the show description. You'll find a link to this story. But this is how I see it. Head of gold, Babylonian monarch, the lion. Breast and arms of silver, Medo-Persia empire, the bear. Belly and thighs of bronze, Greco-Roman empire, the leopard. Legs of iron. This is the Islamic Ottoman empire, the leopard bear lion beast of the of Schofield's work. The feet and toes of iron and clay. This is the second caliphate, but it's the Islamic secular humanist alliance of the mid-20th to the early 21st century. Now, why do I say secular humanist? Charlie, you might want to pop in here for us for a moment. Um, the reason being here, clay, earth, Adam, Charlie, would you explain to them, explain to the audience real quick why I might be thinking secular humanists when I start thinking about clay, earth, and Adam? What's the Hebrew going to suggest to me? Well, yeah, Adam, uh, that, that has, oh boy, <laughs> that gets Yeah, deep. yeah, yeah, I threw it because, at you. 
because you you've got you know the typical you know Adam was the first man right Adam also can refer to mankind yep Dom however is blood so there's a relationship to red because uh, Adam also can be referred to as is red and, and such so there's and red there's earth too if i'm not mistaken red red earth red clay yes all this uh, yeah it it, it would connect to secular amazing. humanism yes very into well. the number six yeah because man number six right. is the number of right. man yeah so and have we seen any signs of islam blending itself with the secular humanists in our world today yeah thanks charlie hello barack obama (laughs) yeah thank you charlie so this is my understanding folks mine 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 and it may not be right but i'm going to show you something here in a little bit daniel chapter 10 verses 5 through 6 i raised my eyes and looked and behold there was a man dressed in linen whose waist had a belt of pure gold of ophaz his body was like topaz his face had the appearance of lightning His eyes were like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and after turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man. I saw a man, clothed in a robe, linen, reaching to his feet, wrapped around his chest with a golden sash, as of the gold of Ophaz. His head and hair were like white, like the wool, like snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has its heat to glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Well, in Revelation, we know we're dealing with Jesus, but that is almost the exact description of the man that Daniel talks to in chapter 10. Why is this important? Pay close attention to what you read next. You're ta- Daniel's talking to Yeshua, Jesus. He's comforted. Daniel 10, starting verse 10. Then behold, a hand touched me and shook me, my hands and uh, shook me on my hands and knees. And he said to me, Daniel, you who are treasured, understand the words that I am about to tell you and stand at your place, for I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was standing in my way for 21 days. We already know he's talking to Yeshua, an epif- a Christophany rather, Jesus before the incarnation. What human king holds Jesus up for 21 days? Nobody. So what are you dealing with? You're dealing with a spirit. You want proof? Keep reading. He says, then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. So the prince of the kingdom of Persia and the prince came to help me. This is where a word study comes into play. It says, for I had been left with the kings of Persia. That's a different word. The word king there is different from the word used in prince in the the Hebrew here. We're dealing with spiritual princes, Ephesians 6, anybody? Principalities. And we're dealing with earthly kings. And Jesus says, now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the latter days because the vision pertains to the days still future. Latter days. Okay. Charlie, this one might help you too. 
the latter days right there. The vision he's about to have explained to him does not deal with time after the crucifixion, but before it and after it, from the point where Daniel is in life. Latter days might very well just mean the time henceforth. Latter days might be a biblical idiom, meaning in the, in the future, the future from this point forward. It might not refer to a specific time period at all. Because in this case, it's referring to from the time forward of Daniel when he has this vision, both before and after the cross. But we've always been taught latter days means after the cross, after the ascension. It's not being used here. And it is the same phrase here as it is elsewhere in the Bible. That might be a Hebrew idiom for what we would think of is in the future. So the people in the future, because the vision pertains to today's still future. Possibly. Keep that in mind. That's another place where word study will help you. This passage continues in verse 19. Daniel chapter 10, verse 19. And he said, you who are treasured, do not be afraid. Peace be to you. Take courage and be courageous. Now, as soon as he spoke to me, I felt strengthened and said, "My Lord, uh, may my Lord speak, for uh, you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you understand why I came to you? But I shall, I said, do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So he's going to go back and fight a spiritual battle. So I am leaving and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, I will tell you what is recorded in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. Michael is the prince of all of Israel. Of He is the prince over Yahweh's kingdom. So you have the prince of Persia. That is a spiritual being right there, folks. The prince of Greece is about to come. You're dealing with ten horns that have no kingdom. You might be dealing, the ten horns and the little, you might very well be dealing with spiritual beings. And the little horn that is given the face of a man, that might well be Muhammad. And if he pulls up three, uh, three kings before, those might be spiritual princes that he overturns. If you know the history of Islam, there's very good reason to believe that's a good, that may not be the interpretation. It fits the pattern of the prophetic language patterns remember i trace concepts and patterns so i'm starting to realize we're not dealing with rome in this fourth beast and we are dealing with spiritual principalities paul tells us this now i've got to stop right here for a minute part of this is not going to make sense to most people if you do not understand the divine counsel and spiritual geography if you have not read the unseen realm by Dr. Michael Heiser. A lot of this is not going to click very well. Ellis Schofield had it, but it was fuzzy to him. He was kind of out there on the, you know, he's in the ball field, but he was out there on the end of the, of the baselines, you know, right and left field. Wasn't in the cheap seats yet, but he was right there in the corners of the, of the field with this particular aspect of it. But you have got to understand, on earth as in heaven, how many men in the Sanhedrin? The Sanhedrin's the Holy Council on Earth, right? 70 men in the Sanhedrin. How many men help Moses? 70. There are 70 princes in the divine council, one for each nation split up in Genesis. On Earth, Earth shadows of the, the spiritual reality. So all of this is going on. What's going on here? Principalities? Ephesians 6? 
that's spiritual geography. And Jesus talking to Daniel is embracing this thinking. That's what's going on in these passages. So, oh my God, I, folks, I understand. I don't mean to confuse you. There is a lot going on here. I'm doing my best. And I told you at the start, I'm assuming that you've been tracking with us. There is a lot I'm trying to blend here today. This is not an easy task I'm taking on. Daniel chapter 9, verse 25 through 27. We're going to go back just a little bit. So you are to know and understand that from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah and the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks, and it will be built again in the streets and the moat, even in times of distress. That's, that happened. After the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the Prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood, flood of people, non-believers. Remember, we covered this yesterday. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined to the end of time. And he will confirm a covenant with many for one week. This is a spiritual prince who is to come. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to the sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come the one who makes desolate. That is, hold on a minute until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, gushes forth on the one who makes desolate. Okay, you're dealing. The prince who is to come is not the Antichrist. This is a spiritual being. We've already covered this in Schofield. The abomination that causes desolation, that is most likely the Dome of the Rock Mosque. It'll stand there. It's an it. Jesus tells us that in Matthew. It is an it. It stands there until the very end, which Jesus says, until the decree, you know, until the complete destruction. This is judgment day when the, the big beast, you know, Satan, the serpent, is cast into the into the lake of fire along with the seven-headed beast, which is most likely Islam, and the false prophet. You have to understand Islam is an apostasy. It, it is a gross perversion of the Bible. It, it is not paganism. So th that's an enemy of, of Yahweh like none other right there. But all of this is talking about a spiritual war and the people of the prince who is to come. The prince who is to come is a spiritual being. He will seek to change the law, the Torah, and the times, the Moedim, the Sabbath feasts, Shemitah, and Jubilee. You will see that pattern everywhere. It is in the Catholic Church. It's in the Protestant Church. It is in Islam. That pattern is everywhere. But in these books... I do not agree with the argument in these two books. These are by Joel Richardson. It's the Mideast Beast and the Islam Antichrist. I do not agree with the argument, the specific argument, but Joel Richardson is in the stadium and he's out there on the very ends of the right and left you know, field baselines, you know, first, uh, first and third baselines. He's out there. He's not in the cheap seats. He's, he's doing good work in here. And as long as he says the Islamic Antichrist what he's talking about there is the 12th Imam, the Mahdi. The books are worth reading, folks. This is what I'm getting at. But he's got false interpretations because he cannot let go of the Tim LaHaye left behind false eschatology that comes from man. However, in that book, Mideast Beast, he fully documents two ancient historians who tell you that the five legions that sacked Jerusalem in 70 AD one of them was raised from people from Judea. In other words, they were Hebrews mostly or Sumerians. The other four were raised from Syria. The people 
were from the Levant, the Middle East. The leaders were Latin Romans. The officers were Romans. The actual soldiers, the people of the prince who is to come, are Arab. That's important to understand because that fits what we just read. So the people of the prince who is to come come from the regions of the lion, bear, leopard beast, which is today Islam, not Rome. These are just pieces of the puzzle. Now we're going to jump from Daniel to the book of Revelation. We're going to keep looking at beasts. Charlie, keep an eye on this for me. Let me know when we need to. I'll, I'll try to find a time for a break here in a little bit, but we've got a lot of work to do, folks. The beasts in the book of Revelation. This is just another picture. You know, you've got the head, Babylon, blah, 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 blah. But you also have Revelation 12. You have the seven-headed beast. You have Revelation 13, another seven-headed beast. Revelation 12, that seven-headed beast. We're going to cover that in a minute. Revelation 11, verses 6 through 8. These, the two witnesses, the Jews and Christians, have the power to shut up the sky so the rain will not fall during the days of their prophesying. Rain, blessings. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood. In other words, the gospel can be turned into sin. And to strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. If the church were to be functioning properly, praying in accordance with the will of the Father, anything it asks will be given it. Remember, Jesus said so. Anything you ask in my name, according to his Shem, and his Shem is in alliance with the will of the Father. If you ask in his name, it'll be given to you says, when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss, that's Satan, the dragon, who is also the eighth beast of Revelation. He's been in the pit since the cross. He will make war with them. Conceptually connects the beast to the prince who is to come. So the prince who is to come is now conceptually, because in Daniel, he's going to make war with the saints of the Most High. Now, concept-wise, the beast coming out of the pit is linked to that beast who's going to make war with the prince who is to come. And he will overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies, their churches, will lie in the streets of the great city. That's Jerusalem. Believers will no longer be allowed to worship openly in Jerusalem, which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt, Jerusalem, where also their Lord was crucified. That's how we know Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem. So this is back to Schofield telling you, he explains the two witnesses in these timelines in the, in the slide study we've been doing. So I'm assuming you know about that. This all fits perfectly. Schofield's on target here, conceptually. We're going to continue Revelation now, chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. The beast from the sea and the dragon, which is Satan, stood on the sands of the seashore, masses of lawless people. And then I saw a beast, a kingdom, is this possibly Islam, coming up out of the sea, masses of lawless people, having ten horns, rulers, kings or seats of power, I believe spiritual rulers, and principalities and it has seven heads individual kingdoms and on its horns were 10 crowns kingship or authority and his heads were blasphemous names now this is where you're probably blending islam with this seven-headed beast because the seven-headed beast is the that's the spiritual beast of all seven kingdoms that have ruled over the holy lands throughout time so right here in this revelation vision that john's having it's blending these beasts it's blending the imagery of the beast, which tends to blend the concept or the ideas of the beast. You've got to be okay with fuzzy thinking. That's the Hebrew way. The prophet continues. He says, and the beast that I saw was like a leopard. It was like Greece. 
and his feet were like those of a bear, like Medo Persia, and his mouth was like the mouth of a lion, like Babylon. This time it's listed in reverse order. <clears throat> and the dragon, which is Satan, gave him his power and his throne and great authority. And I saw one of its heads as if it had been fatally wounded. Just for grins and giggles, the Ottoman Empire, which is the caliphate, was ended by the Western powers in 1924. The Western powers are predominantly Christian. And his fatal wound was healed. The Western powers brought the caliphate back to life under Obama, still predominantly nominally Christian. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast, the beast being Satan. This beast is linked by imagery to the fourth beast in Daniel's vision, but it is a sum total of all satanic kingdoms which have ruled over the holy lands throughout time. This image, this beast here, this seven-headed beast, that is the city on seven hills. If you look it up, Yesterday, we did the show, a hill, a mountain, is also a symbol of a kingdom. Remember, the rock becomes a mountain that spreads throughout the whole world in Nebuchadnezzar's vision, the kingdom of Yahweh. We're even told that that mountain represents the kingdom of Yahweh. A mountain is a kingdom. Seven hills, seven kingdoms, seven heads of the beast. The city is the spiritual city of Satan. Where is the spiritual city of Jerusalem today? In heaven, right? Up in the heavens? Spiritual Jerusalem, New Jerusalem is spiritual Jerusalem. Well, Satan is a mimic. He's going to have a photo negative. His kingdom is spiritual now. He's got a spiritual city on these seven empires. All this imagery blends together. So this is not another, this is another image of this, like I said, city on seven hills. So whoever did this meme is tracking correctly. The first kingdom over, the first head they think is Egypt, second head Assyria, third Babylon, fourth Medo-Persia, fifth Greece, sixth Rome. And they think the seventh is whatever's going to come in the future. They missed something. It's Greco-Roman. There was a kingdom before Egypt ruling over the Holy Lands, the Canaanites. So you probably have Canaanite, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greco-Roman. What would be the seventh? There's been only one kingdom after Rome to rule over the Holy Lands, Islam. Jesus will tell you before the end of this show, Jesus will tell John that the fourth beast in his vision, in, in Daniel's vision, is not Rome. I promise you, it's in your pro, it's in your scriptures. It is in your Bible. You just missed it. Now, this is the statue that was erected outside the UN. Leopard, bear, lion, beast. Very, very similar to the imagery in the book of Daniel and in the book of Revelation. UN is married to Islam right now. We have covered that on several shows here. Unholy Alliance. The secular American left is married to Islam. They are in bed with each other. Well, that's the American left, Joe. Yeah, well, we're the seat of Ephraim. Islam calls the United States what? Great Satan? Calls Israel what? The little Satan, that's because the United States is the seat of Ephraim, the northern kingdom, and Israel is the southern kingdom, Judah. Conceptually, it all tracks. So Revelation 13, verse 11 through 12, the beast from the earth. Once we get done with this, we'll take our break. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. This time it's, it's out of mankind, earth, man, Adam. We just covered this with the feet. And he had two horns, two seats of authority, seats of power. Catholic Protestant. How do we know? Because it's like a lamb. It doesn't say it's like Moses. It says like a lamb, which is Christ. And he spoke as a dragon, Satan. We're dealing with an apostate kingdom. 
we're dealing with the Christian church. This is another imagery of the great harlot mystery Babylon. It fits the prophetic language perfectly. He exercises all the authority of the first beast, Satan's kingdom, possibly Islam, in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who live in it worship the first beast, possibly Islam, whose fatal wound was healed. The lamb beast, the lamb-like beast. One horn's longer than the other. Catholicism is greater than Protestantism. Looks like the church, speaks like Satan. Apostate church. Revelation 13, verses 14 through 16. And he, the two-horn beast, the apostate Christianity, the apostate West, deceives those who lives on the earth because of the signs which it had given him to perform in the presence of the beast, Islam. The West has been in the Middle East for years, man, decades, telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast who had the wound of the sword and had come to life, the new caliphate. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast, Arab Spring so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause all who do not worship the image of the beast to be killed, the renewed jihad. And he caused all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free and the slaves, to be given a mark on their right hands and on their foreheads. Spiritual marks, folks. So let's stop right here. I am guessing, yes, I know that, like so many people before me. However, I'm trying to let scripture and the prophetic language, as well as human history, guide my understanding. So let's recall recent history. The Christian West killed the Ottoman Empire in 1924. The Christian West, led by Obama, helped to resurrect the caliphate, defended Islam, and now is blending Islam with the Judeo-Christian faith. And remember, Obama is a Muslim, said he would side with Islam first, but claimed to be a Christian. Speaks like a dragon, acts like a dragon, presents himself as a lamb. He Imagery fits. The imagery fits. Now, you just had what was called, you know, this is Chris Lown, the Abraham Accords. Have you heard of this? And from Encyclopedia Britannica, Abraham Accords. Series of agreements to normalize relationships between Israel and seven, uh, several Arab states. The accords, all of which were signed in the latter half of 2020, consist of general declaration alongside bilateral agreements between Israel and the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, and Morocco. The name of the Accords was given in reference to the supposed common ancestor of the Jews and the Arabs, the biblical Abraham, and as an expression of brotherhood. The problem is that that's a heresy. They are brothers and, and descendants of Abraham, yes. They are spiritual enemies. There are no, There is no brotherhood there. Remember, all of the promises to Abraham were traced through Isaac. Even Muhammad said true prophets must come through the bloodline of Isaac. Muhammad said that. Then Muhammad said he traces his lineage to Abraham through Ishmael. In other words, yes, Muhammad said he's a false prophet. Muhammad said that. Muhammad said he's a false prophet. Logical extension. So what are we dealing with here? They are actually building this place, folks. They broke ground on it. This is Chris Long. Whether or not we have the actual proper interpretations, we're in the ballpark right here, folks. Conceptually, all of this fits together. I'm tracking concept against the, the scriptural prophetic language concepts against the events of human history and just trying to see what falls into place. And I'm happy to say I'm wrong. I'm happy with that. 
But I know a lot of what you're going to find, people telling you this is this and this is that. It's got it, most, not all, most of the people trying to teach prophecy out there, their interpretations do not jive in that they don't match up with the prof prophet's description of what those symbologies mean. They're not trying to match anything to the prophets. They're trying to grab hold of prophecy and turn it to themselves. I'm not trying to do that. I'm not a prophet. I'm not looking for any recognition. I don't want money. I don't want name. I don't want fame. I want you to look at Yahweh's prophetic language, and I want you to look at his prophet's writings for yourself, and I want you to pray to him and the whole, ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance to understand it. This is all Yahweh, not me. This is Yahweh's prophecy, not mine. I'm sharing my understanding with this from what's come from years of trying to put his puzzle together. All I know is for me, this fits. It doesn't create, it, it's coherent, it's consistent, and it's not, no contradictions. It may not be correct. And remember, there could be more than one shadow that fits. It could be and, not or. Six minute break, catch your breath, get your butt back in your daggum pew. We're going to keep on running when we get back. See you in six.
Harley's conducting the orchestra. <laughs> All right, folks, we're just going to keep on going. Um, I, I know. <laughs> Let's just keep going where we left off. Right back at it, man. We're in Revelation chapter 17, starting in verse 7. And remember, I'm reading from an NASB Bible. And the angel said to me, why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. And the beast that you saw was and is not. Satan was chained and cast into the pit at the cross and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. That's Satan's short season and then judgment. All right, right here, real quick, we got to stop. We are dealing with Enochian material here right now, folks. This is First Enoch. What? Yes, you're you're right smack in the middle of First Enochian material. You're you're dealing with the Watchers, Shoal, the Pit. You're dealing with the fallen angels. You're dealing with Second uh, Peter. You're dealing with Jude. It. This is First Enochian material here right now. It, it Enoch is not scripture. But the thinking of Enoch is right here in this passage right here. And, and this is the angel telling John. So <clears throat> Satan is chained at the pit. You remember the, the angel comes down with the keys to the bottomless pit and a chain chains. That's that's what happened. He This is Jesus saying he's got to chain the strong man so he can rob his house. So the passage just continues. And those who live on the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will wonder when they see the beast. And then he was and is not and will come. The beast is, isn't, will come. So the beast here ultimately is Satan. You have several beasts in the book of Revelation. The big beast, the eighth beast, the beast behind all of it is Satan. You've got to be careful with the book of Revelation. It doesn't always tell you which beast you're dealing with. And a lot of times it blends them together on purpose. It's kind of like when you're trying to sort out the Trinity. Well, there is no Trinity. There is a Trinity. There isn't. There is. Well. It blends these things together on purpose. And that's to get you thinking separate but sane. So we have a beast that is, was, and is, will, and will come. Verse 9. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains, kingdoms, upon which the woman sits. And they are seven kings. Pay attention. I promised you that I would explain this to you. Jesus is about to tell you it's not Rome. Because this angel is the, it, this is Jesus, the angel with the little scroll. This is Jesus talking to John. The seven heads are seven mountains, seven kingdoms upon which the woman sits. And they are seven kings. I don't know if that's spiritual or human. Five have fallen. From the time John is writing, about 100 AD, five are gone. One is. Who's ruling at the time John writes? Rome. So the Greco-Roman interpretation has support right here. Five have fallen, one is. The other has not yet come. What is the only kingdom to rule over the Holy Land after Rome? Islam is the only kingdom left. Islam is the only nation that fits the puzzle. This is Jesus talking to John. One is. These are spiritual princes behind earthly kingdoms. And when he comes, ah, when he, when that king comes, we're talking about a king that lasts for far beyond the length of a human life. These kings are spiritual beings. Look for the concept, folks. He must remain a little while to the end, to the second coming. The beast which was and is not is himself also an eighth, eighth kingdom, eighth beast, 
and is one of the seven, and he goes to destruction. The beast, the beast who was and is not, at the time that Jesus is talking to John, the beast has been chained and thrown in the pit. He's not free to fool the nations, the goyim. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings which have not yet received a kingdom. We're dealing with spiritual beasts. But they receive authority, spiritual kings, spiritual rulers. They receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast, to Satan, to the final beast. This is all blending things together. Look for the things that you can latch on to. Mountains are kingdoms. These kings here are more than likely spiritual. There will be human agents behind those spirits. Ephesians 6 is firmly in view here. Spiritual geography is firmly in view here. The divine council worldview is firmly in view here. Enochian material is firmly in view here. So these are the beasts that I wanted to touch on for you. This is dealing with the beast, the kingdoms, and their rulers and leaders. You're, the beast is not the Antichrist. Satan is. Satan is the Antichrist. Remember what John told you? The Antichrist mentioned in four different passages in all of Scripture. And every time John tells you, spirit, 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 many of them, many of them, don't let, don't reinterpret prophecy against sound doctrine. Now here's where we're going to jump. We're going to go back and we're going to cover some other parts of the book of Revelation. And I want us to read very carefully. This is Revelation 1, verse 9. I, John, I think he's an authority on the book of Revelation, don't you? Your brother and fellow participant in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance in Christ was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. As he writes, he is participating in the tribulation and he is in the kingdom of the Messiah, the millennial reign. You are already in tribulation. You have been since John was writing. Or you're in the end times. Because Jesus says, after the tribulation of that time, then the end starts, which matches up to Daniel. You are also in the millennial kingdom. Remember what the gospel is, the kingdom of Yahweh, the millennial reign. Say, so, well, Joe, uh, no. Every passage you bring to me that you think is going to be about the kingdom after the second coming, I can show you scripturally where you've misunderstood that. Charlie's been trying for a while. I'm going to throw you in here for a minute, Charlie. Hit your button. You've brought me plenty of passages where you thought you could trip me up, haven't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. How have I dealt with those? Uh, well enough? Yeah, yeah. I, and I, I'm still working because this is still... Because of your hard past, this is a big of my thing. Past, it's hard to undo some of this stuff and unravel it. But well, man. help me with this one. Conceptually, is is Yahweh ever going to just abandon this world entirely? No. No, he said he wouldn't. So what part of, where was Yahweh's people? If Satan had been given this world altogether and there was no millennial reign, after the ascension, we no longer have a nation of Israel, so Yahweh doesn't have an inheritance on earth. That means he either the either we are in the millennial and it's a spiritual reign, like Yeshua said, my kingdom is not of this world, or he abandoned this world. Yeah, I don't think so. 
So we have to have been in the millennial reign. Otherwise, there was no inheritance on this earth to combat Satan. Yeah, I don't think he'd uh, take his defenders off the field. Right. He wouldn't. Conceptually, we had to have been in the millennial reign. But John just told us we have been. He participates in the kingdom, the kingdom of Yahweh, which is the millennial reign. It's just that when Jesus reigns, as opposed to handing it back for eternity. This fits, folks. This fits perfectly. And that's what we don't understand from the Christian theology, that the gospel is the kingdom. Yes. It's not just individual salvation. Individual salvation is part of it. It's part of it. Yeah. Thank you, Charlie. Charlie hates it when I throw him in there, but he does great, doesn't he, folks? Catch him flat-footed because he does better when you do that. <laughs> I do that to him on purpose. Revelation 1, verses 17 through 20. When I saw him, Jesus, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Actually, if I do this Aleph Tav, he says, I am the strong promise or the strong covenant and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and of Hades. He's the first and the last and the living one. Y'all do recognize that that's Yahweh language, right? That's father language. Therefore, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which take place after these things. Have been, are, and are to come. The book of Revelation told you, Jesus told you, that some of what you read in Revelation is past from John's perspective. Some of it is already at John's perspective. And some of it is in the future from John's perspective, right around 100 AD. As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Lampstands a church. Jesus just said so. That's the prophetic language. So I have Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, uh, Theateria, the Theateria, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Why in that order? Well, that's because if I start down here of Ephesus, that's a postal road, and it puts them in a order on purpose. There were more churches than just this. So this is there's prophetic here too. This it didn't choose these churches just randomly. And this is a little bit of an idea of what it is that he's actually trying to get at. I don't care about the, the time periods. That doesn't and Brother Schofield has different time periods for the church age. You'll find that in Hidden Beast too. I don't think it's in his slideshow. I don't remember. But the whole point of it is you're gonna have the the spirit of these seven churches will exist in every church age, but you're going to have seven church ages. Oh, geez, the number seven is ringing again. You're going to have seven church ages, and within those different ages, there will be a different spirit for the church. And within those seven ages, you'll have all seven spirits within the different churches of that age. So this is nested. In Ephesus, it says the meaning of the name, desirable and lovely. The complaint, lost its first love. Compliment hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Promised reward, the tree of life. Smyrna, sweet fragrance is what it means. There are no complaints. Compliment, rich in good works. Promised reward, the crown of life, escaped second death. The Pergamon or Pergamos, the height and elevation by marriage is what it means. Tolerance of Baalism, idolatry and immorality is the complaint. Compliment, 
not denied Christ's name or faith, promise, hidden manna, white stone, new name. Thyteria, it means perfume of labor, sweet savor of sacrifice. The complaint, tolerance of the Jezebel, idolatry and immorality. The compliment, good works, love, faith, and patience. Jezebel, by the way, this is right about the time that we start worshiping the Madonna. In the promised reward, power over the nations. Jesus, the Catholic Church had power over any of the nations. Anyhow, Sardis, it means those escaping or, or remaining. The complaint, it's got dead works. The compliment, a few are not defiled. Hmm. Promised reward, white raiment, book of life. Church of Philadelphia, brotherly love. Complaint, little strength. Compliment, kept Christ's word, not denied him. Uh, promise, kept from the hour of trial, pillar and temple, name of God. Ladocia, it means judging of the people or just people. Complaint, it's lukewarm experience, spiritually poor, blind and naked. Compliment, none. Promised reward, sit with Christ on his throne, sup with Christ. What it all means, I don't entirely know it all. I just know that it's patterns, 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 patterns. Now the seven seals. I'm not exactly sure what to make of the seven seals just yet. I don't. I don't honestly know. I know that a seal is a sign. And if you're breaking forth, it, it's it, this could be very well be seven revelations, you know, seven revealings. I don't know. I do know that the seven speaks to me. And I also know this. The first four are the horsemen. That is one of the most accurate pictures of the horsemen I've ever seen. Because first you have the gospel going out, and then I'm going to have wars, and I'm going to have famine and pestilence. I'm going to have economic strife, you know, famines, pestilence, and I'm going to have uh, economic depravity, you know, the rich, rich, poor, poor, all this good stuff. This is the spiritual state of the world during the tribulation. All of these will be stirring up the world. These are the four winds, the four strifes. If you don't think the gospel is not stirring up the world, you didn't listen to Jesus in the four synoptic gospels. He said he came to set fire, set, uh, set a sword to, to people, father against son, daughter against mother. He said he was going to kindle a fire on the earth and how he wished it was already so. In the book of Revelation, the angel scoops up fire from the altar, from the cross. The fire is the gospel, tosses it to the earth, sets it on fire. A third of the world is burned up. The grass is burned up. A third of the people are burned up by the gospel message. The white rider is given a crown, his kingship, bow. You know, we, we've gone over this. People have reasoned this every different way, but if you go into the prophetic language, the bow is Judah. Zechariah, I'll bend the bow of Judah. Philip, the bow is a word. This, this, is all, this imagery is perfect for the Messiah going out to spread the gospel. But wherever, you know, he says you're going to have wars, rumors of wars. You're going to have the, you know, the rich days, days wages for days food. But the rich, you know, don't touch the oil or the wine. The rich still stay rich. And pestilence. All of this. Remember, the book of Revelation was written past, present, future from John's day. And it says blessing to anybody who studies it from the time he wrote it. So it was written to every generation. Then you're going to have the trumpets. Those are warnings to Yahweh's people. They're parallel with the seals. I'm pretty sure with the seals, I know they're parallel to the bulls. The trumpets and the seals are in the first half of, of the book of Revelation, the first half of the bifid. Trumpets are warnings. 
Trumpets call you to, to worship. They call you to temple. They call you to return. Days of awe. You're, recall, you're called to return to the Lord in the Jewish mindset. The days of awe, the trumpets. You're going to have these trumpets all throughout the tribulation, but as you get closer to the return, they're going to be louder and louder. And there will be physical manifestations of this stuff. All the pillars of the earth will be shaken. Everything that we thought we knew will turn to, to water in quicksand. Nothing. You can't even tell whether it's a man or a woman anymore. And, and it's not just because of how they identify. You look at a man or a woman, you can't tell anymore. You don't. You got to start checking out for Adam's apples. And that might not even work. Okay. We don't even know what the meaning of is, is in this country anymore. All the pillars of the earth have been shaken. And if you have not done so, you need to go to YouTube. And just search for signs of shofars in the sky. There are recordings of shofars, and there's no reason, there's no explanation, nobody's got explanation for it. You've been hearing the trumpets. Now, in the book of Revelation, you hear of seven trumpets. But there are more than likely, there are other reasons to believe it's a hundred trumpets or whatever. But you got to be careful with this. Trumpets, trumpets, trumpets. But when that last one blows, the last great trumpet and shout, Charlie, where, where in the Bible, other than the book of Revelation, do we see one last great blow on the shofar and everybody shouts? What happens when that happens? Doesn't Jericho fall? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Jericho's a stronghold, isn't it? Yes. Man's stronghold. <laughs> Satan's kingdom falls with the last trumpet and the shout of the archangel. Gee, what is that referencing us to? Jericho was a pre-configuration of the second coming. Oh, yeah. Seven bowls. The bowls speak to the body of non-believers in this world. These are the warnings. This is the wrath. The church will be judged, but believers are not destined to wrath. That doesn't mean you won't be on the earth when this happens. You will be. The scriptures tell you he will save you through it. That's the whole picture of Noah in the flood. He'll get you through it. But the bowls of wrath are parallel. That's Hebrew parallelism. They're on the other half of the bifid. The rapture. Everybody wants to talk about this. We know exactly when it happens. Jesus tells you the rapture happens at the last great trump and the shout of the archangel. We're also told that that happens when he returns. This is the timeline that is in scripture. We've gone over all of this in the past. If you want more work on this, go to Rumble, the very first permanent comment underneath the description page of today's show. You'll find a link to the third rail of prophecy, the rapture. And I tackle all of this using nothing but scripture. And this, this is the Messiah we get back. Robes drenched in blood sword of the word of Yahweh. He comes back a warrior. Like I like to say, he's going to be in full battle rattle. This is not the lamb that comes back. This is the lion of Judah that returns. What happens after he returns? You go into what we think of as the bottle of Armageddon, or at least that's pretty sure seems to be. You be careful with this. This might be a spiritual battle that's been going on forever and ever. Amen. This might be a spiritual battle that started from the cross, or at least from the time Satan was released from the pit. Remember, we see in, um, I think it's Chronicles, when Assyria sacks Jerusalem, all we see are the Assyrians killing everybody. But in Jeremiah, we see the spiritual battle that goes on beforehand and while that's happening. 
So Jeremiah tells you it's angels killing those, those non-believing Jews. But Chronicles says it's Assyrians. It's the same event. In, on earth as in the spirit world, they go hand in hand to each other. They reflect each other. Incidentally, when we think this is going to happen in the valley of Megiddo, no, 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 no. Har means mountain. That's a picture of where everybody thinks the Battle of Armageddon is going to be fought. It's big enough to have one heck of a fight there, but not a fight from all the armies of all the world. You wouldn't be able to deploy more than a division or two from each side right there, and that's only if you lined up the way they used to do in Waterloo. We don't fight that way anymore. That's not enough room to properly, in our day and age, deploy one division, let alone the armies of the world. But I don't know. We'll have to see. I happen to think Har, Megiddo, the mountain of, that's a spiritual kingdom. So spirit first, then the material. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not spiritualizing everything. I'm saying spiritual first, then material reflection. And look for the possibility of more than one. After the Battle of Armageddon, we have the Great White Throne Judgment. Sort the sheep from the goats. If your robes aren't washed in the blood, you ain't going to make it. You're going to Gehana, the lake of fire, second death. Then you have spiritual Jerusalem. All right. That's the shining city on the hill. What hill? The mountain that spreads throughout the whole of the earth. That's the rock cut out with unhewn hands. You know, the, the, the stone that the, the builders cast aside, the cornerstone, Jesus, who leads to the kingdom of Yahweh throughout the whole earth. That's the, the Yahweh says he will take back his inheritance is all the nations. He'll reverse everything. He'll take it all back. Remember, he lives with his people in his city. The city is a kingdom, his kingdom on the hill, his city, his people on top of that kingdom. That's all this is right now. It's in heaven. It's in the spiritual world. Jesus says, tells Pilate, he says, if my kingdom were of this world, my people would come defend me. But my kingdom isn't of this world. But yet it is. It is. And that's because this world is part of the spirit world. It was separated at the fall. That when we remake the earth after New Jerusalem, you remake the earth. The spirit world and the heavenly and the material world will be rejoined. Everything will be put back together the way it once was. Now, we've got a few other things I know that we're going to probably people want to tackle, but hey, I ran over one of these books, the Sozo books today. I might have to find and buy another one. These are the, the book on the left, The Hidden Beast 2. Best book I've ever read, read on trying to understand prophecy. Not perfect, no, but the absolute best thing I've ever encountered in my life. Sozo is the same material, but he's assuming you've read Hidden Beast 2, or at least aware, aware of what he's, what he's explaining. Not as much hand-holding in Sozo. But if you cannot find Hidden Beast 2 and you can find Sozo, that'll work. Now, let's go over to a few specific things. The four horses of the apocalypse. In a lot of people's Bible, it says pale horse. That is not what the Greek says. The Greek says uh, chlorophyll. It's the root word for chlorophyll. It means green. Why is that important? I'll show you in a moment, just because it's fuzzy feeling, but you have red, white, black, and green. You've seen these horses before. These are the horses pulling the four chariots in Zechariah. 
In their case, we had black, red, white, and dappled horse. I don't know what the heck the meaning of the dappled horse is, but you've seen the four horses before. And they're the four winds, the four the spirits of strife, and et cetera, et cetera. The four winds of trouble, the four horsemen of trouble. These are the flags of Islam, of all the nations that surround the Holy Land today. What color are they? Uh, you need a reminder? They're uh, red, black, white, and green. Those are your nations. All of the people groups and nations mentioned in the Battle of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel come from these nations. They're all Islamic today. All of the peoples named by Ezekiel in the Battle of Gog and Magog are Islamic. All I'm saying is Islam is rhyming through the proper understanding of prophecy. It rhymes. It echoes. It, it's, it just seems to keep coming up. Now, the two witnesses. I don't know how many times I've seen believers fighting over this. This is stupidity. You've seen the two witnesses before. Again, in Zechariah. Or I think it was Zechariah, wasn't it? Is it, is it Zechariah or one of the other minor prophets? I think it's Zechariah. Chapter 4, if I'm not mistaken. But these are the two lampstands. And what did Jesus say a lampstand was? A church. These are the two olive trees. Olive tree is a symbolic of Israel. The wild is the married bride. The house of Judah. I mean, the, the domestic rather is the married bride, the house of Judah. The wild is the is the house of Israel, the the Christian church. So what you have, Jews or Christians. And the oil, that's the word of Yahweh, the word of God. It feeds them both. Why do we keep arguing that the two witnesses are actual people? This is what happens, folks. To the to the total extent that I will ever smack a believer on the head, I get yelled at by people who want to make prophecy theirs. They have the only interpretation and everybody else is wrong. Yeah, you ain't going to like me one bit because they tell me, Joe, you spiritualize too much. Yahweh doesn't give a rat's rip about this world. He's going to remake it. He doesn't care about the material. Spiritual. Do you have to be born of the world again or do you have to be born from above of the spirit? You have to be born again of the spirit, right? Spiritual, spiritual, spirit. Spiritual first, then material. Then material. So if the first thing you do is read the Bible and I got to get a, a literal material understanding before you understand the spiritual, you're going to mess it up. 100% guaranteed. I can say that. Never worry about having to explain that to the Messiah on judgment day. He's not going to question me on that because I'm right. I know I'm right. Read it for the spiritual first then you'll understand the material a lot clearer. That Bible does not give a rat's rip about this world. This world is going to burn up. Doesn't care. Nothing in the Bible ever tells you preserve the material. It tells you store up your works in the spiritual world. Understand spiritual world first. If you do that, it's real easy to see that the two witnesses are not people. Jesus sends the apostles out and he says, go. Go into the world, be my witnesses. The apostles are going to start what we think of as the Christian church. He says, go be my witness. There's my first witness. That's the wild olive tree. Everybody's got to be grafted in what Paul's talking about. Come on, man. The, the, the prophets are going side by side with sound theology, sound doctrine. Okay? Make sure you stick with them. Now we have Mystery Babylon, mother of all harlots, abominations of the earth. She's clothed in red and purple. Be careful. There are many different Babylons. 
in the book of Revelation. You know, great Babylon the Great rides all seven of the hills. That's what we know is this. A harlot is always apostasy. So what you're probably dealing with is Babylon the Great, all apostasy throughout all of human history. Church and state married together. Mystery Babylon. Those are the ones, that's another image of the two-horned beast that looks like a lamb, speaks like a dragon. She's drunk off the blood of the saints. She's a harlot. She's an apostasy. And she's riding on the seven beasts. This is definitely the apostate Christian church. And a lot of people will think, well, the apostate Christian church, well, this has got to be Islam, Joe. You said Islam's an apostate. It is. But guess what? Islam's part of the apostate Christian church. It's just so much of an apostasy, it's become antichrist. I mean, at least Catholics still talk about and point to Jesus for your salvation. Islam doesn't do that. But Islam started with the Bible. The first three years of his life, Muhammad was teaching scripture alone, biblical scripture. He was buying it from the Jews and the Christians in the area. And he told his believers, you got to read the Bible for guidance and light. Then he turns apostate. Be careful with this stuff, folks. Be careful with it. Don't. I know I'm speaking in cement terms too, but he tells God tells his people, come out of mystery Babylon, my people. He says to be called out. The church, Catholic and Protestant alike, has a history of killing those who cling to the way. The imagery is just too perfect. And this is why it's mystery Babylon. Remember, Babylon is spiritual, um, not just apostasy, but it's also spiritual um, captivity. Spiritual slavery. We also have wormwood. This is, and the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of the waters. And the name of the star is called wormwood, and the third part of the waters became wormwood, and many men died in the waters because they were made bitter. Revelation 8, verses 10 through 11. Let's go back and translate. And a third angel, or mess, uh, sounded, the third angel sounded. And there fell a great star, messenger, or teacher from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. It's got a, it's got a message. It's got some sort of a teaching, spiritual teaching. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers, the fountainhead of where the, the word of God flows from. So a third part of the, the fountainhead of the people, more than likely the church or the body of believers. And upon the fountains of the waters, teachers. And the name of the star is called Wormwood, death, poison, bitterness. And the third part of the waters became wormwood, waters, third part of the teachings and the third part of the people. And many men died of the waters, died of the teaching spiritually because they were made bitter. They could no longer save you. This is one of several possibilities. This is secular humanism. It poisons the fountainhead. It says there is no God. Well, that will dry up the gospel message in the word of Yahweh. This could be Islam, which does the same thing. It teaches you a spiritual message from the fountainhead. It perverts the gospel from the beginning. This could also be the apostate Christian church. Which one it is, I don't know. I know that the imagery fits all three. You decide where you want it to be. And? Yeah, I know. Could be all. The lamb beast of the false prophet. The deception of Muhammad's religion. Possibly. But in this case, you know, the, the beast that has two horns that 
like a lamb but speaks like a dragon that i know that's that's definitely christianity but the false prophet i am convinced me personally that that's muhammad if i look at all of human history there is one man known as the prophet to most of humanity muhammad not even jesus is known as the prophet muhammad even called himself the prophet and it fits with the rest of what we were talking about with islam Okay, that's slideshow for the day. Oh my God, I got through all of this. Got 20 minutes left. I spoke fast wow. today. I didn't think I'd get through it yeah. all, but I, I was, like we were saying, I was high-stepping today, folks. I was giddy-upping. Um, this is what I was asked to do, try and tie it all together. There's more. There's there's much more. You have to do the the scepter and the birthright, the breach with Tamar's children, and, and you got to trace the birthright through Joseph. It, Ephraim and, and the, the scepter through Judah and all of that is wound into this as well. The two houses of Israel, all of that story is wound into this as well. And and it's going to connect through the prophecies of Ephraim and the resurrection of you know, putting the two sticks back together in Ezekiel. All of that is part of this as well. Um, and that gets woven in here. You've got to look into the divine council because, and, and that's woven into this as well. Um, the, the spiritual language, the, you know, the prophetic language, spiritual symbolism, that's woven into all of this. You've got to swallow it whole. You can't pick and choose. Um, and you got to try to understand it all in a balance so that everything makes sense in your mind at the same time. It, you can do this. I know it doesn't, you know, Joe, you, know, you said be happy not knowing and this still you want it all to make sense. The fuzzy feeling there, there's going to, it's a jigsaw puzzle, folks. That's why I use this illustration. You and I both know that if I have a 500-piece jigsaw puzzle and I got 300 of the pieces together, I got a fuzzy idea what the image looks like. I'm still missing major pieces. Yes, I've got that. You know, big. You know, I'm missing two-thirds of it. I mean, yeah, two uh, two-fifths. You know, but whatever. Eventually, I that might help me find other pieces and put them in there. I might get down to where I'm only missing one fifth, and now I pretty much know what the puzzle looks like. Especially if it's just a piece here and a piece there and a piece here and a piece there. There's certain things you're not going to know, but even in the prophecies that we were reading that I don't know the specific earthly manifestations, I do understand the spiritual message that's behind it. So that's fine. That's what I'm wanting you to do. Understand the spiritual first, worry about the material second, and quit using prophecy as a crystal ball or a magic eight ball to read the future or as your own little fiefdom that you grab hold of and you you've got it and you've arrived and now you're a prophet and everybody has to listen to you you don't have to listen to me you're more than welcome to throw all of this out the window i don't mind it's not going to hurt my feelings i could be wrong and i'm well aware of that the only reason i hold to this right now is like aaron was saying before this lines up this fits the world i see in the spiritual message and what i read and with the prophetic language that the prophets tell me to use, the concepts that are taught in Scripture, all of this just lines up. So as long as a concept you know, or an understanding fits with the concepts that I understand from if as long as everything lines up, Joe holds on to it. I may not put that piece into the puzzle yet, but I hold on to that piece. And that's just me. This is the way I know how to understand this. And, and this is what Schofield was on to. This is part of what uh, Allen with the scepter and the birthright is on to. This is, this is um, 
a little bit of what um, Michael Heiser is on to. To each is given a piece. I just happen to be made in such a way that I stay restless and I gather pieces. In the way my mind works, if you give me enough of the pieces to a puzzle, I just naturally start putting that sucker together. It's just the way it is. I'd have made a probably made an excellent police detective because I notice little things that most people don't and they itch at me until I figure out why. And I just, I don't know how many of you have seen the, the TV series, the expanse on Amazon, but Miller, the character of Miller, I, I, I relate and identify with Miller a lot, man. Miller is always like, why, why, why we got to keep going, you know, got to keep reaching out gotta keep looking for the next piece of the puzzle. I need another piece. Something's missing. So come on, kid, there's something missing. Let's keep going. Keep, keep looking for the pieces. I'm like Miller. If you haven't seen it, he's a detective in that show. And he's just never satisfied until he gets his answers. Once he's got the answers and everything's solved, he goes looking for another puzzle. I'm like that. Now I understand why I was made that way. I'm just sharing with whoever wants to listen. You do with it what you want to do with it. This is my best stab at a very condensed, quickly presented uh, presentation of the overarching timeline and, and, and theme of the play of scripture, you know, pro- the pro- prophecies in scripture, at least dealing with the end of times, you know, book of revelation and Daniel. There's a lot more in there, folks. There's a lot more. You got the prophecies of the Messiah. You got the prophecies of the nation of Israel prophecies on Judah and the, and the married bride. There, there are, there are lots of them and they all coincide they all line up and they all work within each other. They all support each other. It's like Charlie was saying the, the numerical symbology, the, the imagery, the, it, it, all of it. It's just, it's, it's beyond man's ability, the wordplay it's beyond the human ability of one man to have orchestrated all of this, let alone 60 something men over 1500 years. The Bible is exactly what it claims to be. It's testable. And prophecy is one of the ways that we were given to test it. Yahweh says so that you can look back and know that it. I told you from the beginning, I am Yahweh. And that's another thing that we were talking about how he's different. Um, Yahweh has to be different from all other gods in the universe because he can tell the future from the beginning, which means he's outside of time. Every other God in the ancient Near East is not outside of time. They're not transcendent. All other gods are stuck within time. And that's why they can't tell the future. Now, the Elohim, our spiritual beings, I don't know if they can tell the future or not. I have no idea. Scripture doesn't seem to tell us that. I don't think so. Because there is a hint that their eternity, yes, but eternity is not what we think of it is there does seem to be a hint that there is a time factor in heaven. It just doesn't work like what we think it does. So I don't know what to do with that. I, I can't answer everything for about people. I'm, I'm not prophet and I'm not Jesus. Never claimed to be. Do we have any questions on the board? Anything anybody wants to ask about? Um, you got anything, Charlie? Well, I just want to, you know, this is, it, it, it can throw your suckers in the dirt, but man, once you see this, 
it's it it fits together that that's the important thing and like you say we we could be wrong in certain aspects and things like that but but overall this seems to fit very 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 well together and you know like you say it's logical and coherent and all that well um, one thing's for sure we did put an end to this idea of the fourth beast is rome oh yes jesus put a spike right through that yeah one. yeah that <laughs> once you understand yeah. that the mountains and heads are kingdoms right and the prophets are told that by the angel that explains it to daniel and then even yeshua tells you it's a mountain it's kings it's yeah right the imagery is explained if we just stop and slow down and let the bible interpret the bible but that's that's the thing that's important as far as you know our walk of faith you know yes there are going to be parts that are fuzzy and that's that's why we have faith and that's you know part of this walk but it's so important to keep an open mind in regards to these things so that when you see something that oh that's different hmm, how does that fit or does it fit you know sometimes it'll be something okay you know i looked at this closer and yeah it doesn't fit and, you know so i'm going to reject that False that sucker but then there's times when it fits in there and then <laughs> then comes to the the problem and that is okay i see this fits okay looks like this is capital t truth as best i can understand it to this point then you got the challenge because then you got to move or you're rejecting it that's the hard part at least from my understanding and from my life you know and that's one of the things i'm grateful for at least to this point that yahweh's given me the heart to you know oh okay i learned this wrong throw that out put this new piece of the puzzle in there oh that means i gotta change some things i'm doing in my life and okay going down this road but at least from my you know casual observation i don't have any scientific evidence i think it's been a blessing in my life and it it's helped me to get rid of a lot of that what we call cognitive cognitive dissidence yeah that we have in our lives that helps me tremendously because the, one of the one of the things that i think is so dangerous in just christianity is because they have focused so much on you know trying to fit all this into physical manifestations and such that when they get to the point as things play out and perhaps some of these physical manifestations you know some of them may happen you know yeah but when some of them don't and they're expecting for instance to be raptured out of here before big time trouble comes that's going to be a serious problem to their faith yes and that's where they may be deceived by something like chrislam that you are showing here yeah where they you know oh well um, maybe maybe there's this other kind of Jesus or this other kind of faith, and maybe that's the right one. And that can be very dangerous. 
Yeah, if you're too rigid on your beliefs and you're not free to test everything and you won't test everything, you can end up setting yourself a time bomb that'll destroy your faith. Yes. By putting everything in, like with, with your Mormon religion. Oh, yeah. If you're Mormon and you listen to us, this is what's about to come here is said with, and don't go anywhere, Charlie, great love, an agape love and concern for you, but this nation is not going to be saved by the Mormon elders. We're under condemnation of Yahweh. And that, that pattern is very evident, especially if you've been letting Jonathan Khan show you the parallels with, oh, with wow. scripture. Yeah. We're under judgment. This nation's going to collapse. It's going to fall in some way, shape, or form. When that happens, that destroys Mormon prophecy. Yeah. Totally. What happens to all those Mormons? <laughs> Ooh, yeah. That's going to be rough. Yeah. The ones that actually tr did honestly believe they're following their the, the true God, they're going to have a problem. I mean, some of them are going to just try to put their faith back together, and, and they're creating a, a religion, a man-made religion. But unfortunately, if but, you look, you know, because Mormonism, because of um, because of the internet and because of a lot of stuff that's come out, um, people are starting to be exposed to some mm -hmm. of the the inconsistencies in Mormon historical accounts. Oh yeah. Like what Joseph Smith said, you, you can't get to heaven unless you have the sacrament and then they turn it the sacrament being poly, uh, polygamy. And then yeah. they go ahead and they rewrite right. one other. That, that's like saying you can't get to heaven without Jesus, but yeah. we're going to rewrite Jesus. But there's a lot of those things happening. But yeah. unfortunately the people that are leaving Mormonism, they end up being either agnostic or atheist. They yeah. don't, come into the what i mean that's where i'm so grateful that i was able to you know stay on track you know and actually hopefully uh get on the right path um you know instead of going from the frying pan into the fire if you you know remember what prophecy is for folks it, it's it's not the magic eight ball it's 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 meant to be an evangelical tool and to strengthen your faith because you can look back and see that it happened already. It's not meant to be something that becomes a stumbling block in your way or a bludgeon over other believers' heads. If you're using it that way, you're using it wrong. Right. And that's something, you know, don't fight over this stuff. No. You know, keep the body united. Because we could be wrong. Yep. All right. Let's start wrapping this one up, Charlie. How many preachers do you hear say that? Not many. I don't know. Not many. They, they, I was told if I say something like that or something like I don't know, that means I'm a false teacher. Yeah, I remember that meme. <laughs> All right, Charlie. All right, folks. Look. <laughs> You're trying to do my job. Stop it. Do your job. That's when two of us tried to do the same thing in the studio at one time. We only pretend to be professionals around here. All right. Hopefully we were able to bless you all today or help some of you in some way, shape or form. If you have questions, comments or whatever, feel free to e email me uh, you know, right there. Joe at the road to Concord. There are a few of you that I owe an email to. I will try to get to that before the end of this week. Um, if you do share this show with others, please do so directly. Send those folks a link, either in a private message or an email. Ask them to give us a little time. Tell them that, you know, let them know. Show builds on itself warn them about me. I, I understand I'm not the most personable person in the world. Um, if nothing else, you know, give us a thumbs up only if you feel that way though, but that lets us know we've done a good job for the day. 
Um, let's see with today's show, anything else? I don't know what we're doing next Wednesday yet. Um, I got a good idea where I want to go, but we'll see as for tomorrow. Tomorrow's just straight up Art Bell, man. Anything you would have heard of on heard on Art Bell's midnight show back in the day. All, um, we're going to be talking about, well, we may not talk about Daryl because Daryl's been found. Apparently, Daryl, you know, Bigfoot has been masquerading as a really tall big man in the vicinity of Hayhira, you know, Valdosta, Georgia, uh, going by the name of T-Rex. <laughs> Which is why this man T-Rex would tell everybody Bigfoot doesn't exist because he was trying to stay incognito. But, you know, anyhow. Yeah, Daryl might come up. Mothman might come up. You know, Loch Ness Monster might come up. You know, interdimensional whatevers might come up. Definitely going to have to talk about the grays, the greens, and the lizard people. All sorts of whatever tomorrow. Illuminati. I mean, you just bring it. Just bring it. Let's have craziness tomorrow. Friday, I'm going to do something a little different. It's Founding Fathers Friday and, and Fallacy Friday. We're not doing that. We are going to go straight politics. I am going to channel my inner Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, Dan Bongino, Glenn Beck. And we're going to talk straight politics, specifically dealing with Trump, these trials, what's going on with the GOP, McCarthy, uh, all this garbage, you know, you know, the Speaker of the House. Be, we're going to talk about that, that kabuki theater that's going on because, folks, Folks, there's a problem with Donald Trump. He is acting way outside of character right now. We're going to have to have a talk. I don't know what it is. I don't always have the answer. But every alarm bell in my world is looking at politics right now saying something ain't right, Joe. Something ain't right here. Something ain't right here. So we are going to have a good old day on Friday. And I will be in my full political glory and uh, I will, for one day, show you that if I ever really did want to, to get big in talk radio, I can't. I'm capable of doing it. And those of you who used to listen to me on Steve's radio show, you know I can do this. But that's not what I want to do because that doesn't. That just adds to the problems. But Monday, I mean Friday, rather Friday, we throw bombs. We throw Molotov cocktails Friday. So if you're a MAGA guy or gal. Yeah, we're going to tick you off. If if you're a lefty progressive, we're going to tick you off. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to be it. You know what? We're going to be slaying cows on Friday, Jack. I am going to I am going to be full full-fledged slaughter for the for the for the altar on Friday. And it'll be all politics. So until then, we love each and every Yes, ma'am. I'll bring the pipe bombs. You bring the pipe bomb. Somebody's going to have to bring either cinnamon rolls, donuts, or unleavened donuts, something. We're going to be on a sugar high. You guys are going to get us banned everywhere. <laughs> so until then, we love each and every one of y'all. Y'all stay safe. Take care of yourself. We'll see you.